Introducing the Planet Fitness Guide to getting that post-workout glow. Step one, what's your why? More epic energy, better sleep, blow off steam? Step two, join Planet Fitness for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime, and get moving. Go cardio crazy in our clean and spacious clubs, or get down with some dumbbells and strength equipment. Step three, bask in that post-workout glow. Join Planet Fitness today for $1 down, $10 a month, cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, October 14th. It's glow time. See club for details. Family dinners were the first thing I was homesick for when I moved out. The warmth of laughter, the smell of dad's pork roast filling the house. Mm, dad's pork roast. There's nothing quite as comforting as the smell of home-cooked meals. That's why I learned to make my dad's recipes. Now, this house is finally starting to smell like home. Good food, good traditions. One great meal. Come together with Swift. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me is my co-host, my partner in crime in this football odyssey. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, dude, it wasn't a win, obviously, on Saturday night, but there's just a different vibe coming out of the Mile High City this time around. Well, like I wrote last night, it was a win where it really counted. And that's where the, the first team played well, the rookies played well. The record doesn't matter, but you wanted to see some progress from week one. You wanted to see some improvement, and that's exactly what you saw last night. So in my book, that's a win. Oh, yeah, and we got a lot to sink our teeth into. But first, just a couple reminders on social. Everybody make sure you're following the show on Twitter. We got our own Twitter account, Twitter handle for the show, at HuddleUpPod. Also, if you haven't done so, Take some time, leave a creative review on the show wherever you listen, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, Spreaker, wherever. It's a great way to support the show, lets us know how you like the show, but also helps us to grow and reach new listeners. Those ratings are absolutely important. Also shows a very engaged audience, which we know you are. So if you haven't done that yet, take a second, get that done for us. And then one last piece of business before we dive into the Bears game, we got to say thank you to... One of tonight's sponsors, Audible. Get a free audiobook download, you guys, and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles to choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or an MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Phenomenal way to get books under your belt for those of you who like to read but don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages on the books you want to read. There's so many great books, so many great opportunities to either learn something, be entertained. I use it for both purposes, to be honest with you. Sometimes I'll go with a fiction book and kind of space out a little bit and escape. Other times I'll do nonfiction. Might be a football book, might be history. Heck, might be a little bit of self-help or motivation, whatever it might be. But there's something for everybody on Audible. And if you're a fan of listening to podcasts, as you probably are if you're listening to this show, I promise you, you'll like Audible. So take some time. Go to audibletrial.com. You're going to get a free book and a 30-day trial to check it out. audibletrial.com slash huddle up. 
And a quick note on that, I've received a few questions over the last few weeks on when you go to that, that link, audibletrial.com slash huddle up, it immediately resolves the link into something else and you don't see any sign of huddle up. Don't worry about that. As soon as you as long as you type in audibletrial.com slash huddle up, yes, it immediately converts to a different link once it loads, but that lets Audible know we sent you. It's still under huddle up so they know we get credit. Okay. Anyway, let's jump to the game. Bears 24. Broncos 23. The Broncos, of course, dropped their second preseason game at home. The next two are going to be both on the road, falling to yet another NFC North foe. Chicago Bears, of course, got the better of the Broncos uh, 24-23 due to a 10-year veteran quarterback driving late on Denver's young third-team defense for that go-ahead score. And you've heard me say it before, you know, the preseason games, they might not count, but they do matter. And, you know, do you want the Broncos to win the game in a perfect world? Sure. But what you're really wanting to see is how individuals perform, how units perform, how the coaches and players react to real game situations, how the bottom 40 guys, especially on the roster look. And coming out of the the, uh, preseason opener, we wanted to see a little bit more, obviously, from the first teamers. So let's face it, though. If Vance Joseph's top priority was winning that game, at the very, very least, even if he didn't want to risk Case Keenum, he would have sent Chad Kelly back into the game when the Bears took that one-point lead with less than two minutes to go. But instead, obviously, Coach Joseph and the guys upstairs wanted to see how Paxton Lynch would handle the situation, handle that pressure, how his young teammates would rally around him. And I'll say this, Zach, after watching the game a few times now, if this were a regular season game and it's ones against ones throughout for four quarters, I really don't have much doubt that the Broncos would have found a way to win that game. I think the Broncos blow them out if it was the ones versus ones. They were really getting the, the better of the Bears in all facets, even on special teams. Um, but, you know, Case Keenum looked good, even though he was a little off target, but he was finding his rhythm. He was connecting with his receivers. Uh, the running game was getting going. Royce Freeman had a touchdown. The defense was forcing turnovers, getting sacks. The Broncos definitely would have won that game if they left the starters in. And uh, it was encouraging because the Bears are an up-and-coming team. They did only win five games last year, but they have some pieces on that team. So it was good showing by the Broncos first string yeah Case Keenum let's talk about him I mean a little bit of a rocky start at first you're kind of thinking oh man he can't get it together he's just too nerved up and what's going on here you know they punt on his first possession he ended up getting three total possessions in the game first one's a punt second one is a long drive and a field goal and then lastly a touchdown uh, before he sat down but you know he eventually found his rhythm when he was off target he was, he was typically high, as the broadcast pointed out, quite well. He missed a couple of touchdowns in the end zone. One, obviously, if he would have thrown it a little bit earlier and a little bit lower to Emmanuel Sanders. But look for that route in the regular season. I think you're going to see them connect on that a few times. And then he missed the post route to Deshaun Hamilton, who I'll say, we'll, we'll talk about Deshaun here in a bit. But So he was a little bit off, and it wasn't just those two balls in the end zone. There were a couple times in, in the drives where he was just high. And uh, there's just a little something in his technique. I think Brian Greasy, Zach, talked a little bit about the footwork and, and uh, some of the things that Keenum can do to uh, solidify his throwing platform and his base there to be a little bit more on target. But again, I still chalk a lot of it up to uh, just the initial nerves of the situation. And we all have to remember, I mean, this is a guy who's still settling in. He's in a new environment. He's in a new. He's with a new team, new faces. And, you know, he's been with the, the these players for a few months now. But as far as playing real football with uh, you know the type of dire straits and consequences that come in game this is all still a pretty new experience for Case Keenum as a Bronco 
you took the words right out of my mouth. Even though he is talented and he is an upgrade over the Broncos' past quarterbacks, there's still a lot of new moving parts here, a lot of new different receivers. They did have that passing camp, and they built chemistry there, but you can never truly meld together until the bullets start flying, and that's what happens in preseason. And that's what preseason's for. It's to shake the rust off, get the kinks out, get those plays down pat, get that chemistry built, and go into the regular season uh, firing on all cylinders. So, he, yeah, he was a little high, should have had a couple touchdowns, there, but it was encouraging that his receivers were getting open, that he was fighting and hitting those reads, and that he was making good decisions with the football. Absolutely, and I wrote before the game, and again, just so people understand, and I didn't get any feedback to this to this uh, degree, but I did feel in the back of my mind this little voice speaking to me as I was writing the piece. I didn't mean to be an alarmist with regard to Case Keenum whatsoever, and if you read the piece, I think I make that pretty clear, but I did write about the fact that you know, considering the rough start, Case Keenum could and he received some doubts around the league. I don't know if you're paying attention to some of the debate shows on ESPN and uh, Fox Sports One. You can turn on the radio, listen to local Denver radio. You know, he was receiving some doubts, and obviously the fans were a little uncomfortable not seeing him play a little bit better, at least in the in the opener. But he did. He came out and did exactly what he needed to do to not only settle down the fan base, uh, quiet the doubters around the league. But it was also a confidence booster for him. I mean, we got to remember, yeah, he's he's a six-year veteran and all that, and he started quite a few games in this league. But he's not a six-year veteran that's been starting from day one. So he still has some experience to pick up along the way, and a lot of this is all new for him as well. So it was a confidence booster for him. I think it was a confidence booster for his teammates around them, for them, the first team especially, to all come together, even without Demarius Thomas and say, look, we can get this done. And we started to kind of catch a glimpse. You know, it's still a work in progress, but we started to catch a glimpse of what John Elway had in mind, what the vision is for this offense. And I'm really excited, Zach, to see how Bill Musgrave and Case Keenum can really get on the same page and and make some stuff happen this year. I wrote on Twitter during the game that once he gets these passes down and he start, you know, stops sailing the passes so high, the Broncos are going to have a sneaky good offense. There's a lot of pass catching weapons, a lot of good runners on this offense. Even Jeff Hireman came out and he's looking pretty good the last week or so. We'll talk about him yep. in just one second here. Yep. But uh, you know, all the receivers they have, and they have Jake Butt on the team. They have you know the tight ends. They have running backs. Once they come together. They're going to surprise a lot of people. And the thing about Case Keenum is everyone thinks last year was an aberration, that it was a a fluke that he had such a good year. And he wants to prove that it wasn't a fluke. He wants to prove he can be a franchise quarterback, and the Broncos were justified in handing him $36 million. So at any sign of him not showing well, like in the first preseason game, yeah, those those doubters are going to come out. But once he settles down, this Broncos offense is going to be good. Yeah, and I think Case Keenum could go on to win a playoff game again this year, and he's still going to have the doubters. That's, I mean, that's just the reality of a guy who wasn't supposed to make it in this league as an undrafted player. But, you know, if you haven't done it, go back and watch the uh, Gruden's QB camp where he sat down with John Gruden uh, ahead of the 2012 draft. And you could tell Gruden was kind of setting him up to manage his disappointment at not getting drafted. But at the end of the whole piece, you know, he basically says, look, Keenum, you're going to be all right. And that's how we're seeing it unfold, at least six years into his, his NFL playing career. And the last thing I'll say on this as far as being off target, from the time the Broncos started training camp in earnest, you heard the receivers, especially the starters, uh, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, just talk about like they were blown away, like it's something they have never seen before. We know they have <laughs> from Peyton Manning, but talking about his ball placement, 
So we know he's accurate. You, you saw the statistic last night if you watched the game about him finishing second behind only Drew Brees last year in completion percentage. So this guy knows where to mm. place the ball. You know, he knows how to connect the dots, so to speak, and he knows how to place the ball. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think the Broncos receivers are so used to Paxton Lynch sailing passes uh, and Simeon sailing passes. So yeah. Keenum's a giant breath of fresh air there. Absolutely. But yeah, so we can't worry too much about Case Keenum. It's it's uh, still a work in progress, but everybody's got to be encouraged by what they saw at the very least on Saturday night against the Bears. But another guy we got to talk about here, you mentioned him, is Jeff Hireman. Now, both of us have been on record on this show and in our written words on the website talking about airing out our doubts as to whether or not Jeff Hireman ends up even on the 53-man roster. And it's easy to understand. I mean, he's a guy who, despite being a third-round pick, has got 18 career receptions, you know, despite not having some, you know, it's not like he's had a pro bowler ahead of him on the depth chart the last two years especially. We're talking about Virgil Green. Hireman just could never find a way to crack the lineup consistently and make an impact. And then to boot, he opens up camp, plays the first practice, and then he gets hurt and he's nursing a knee. And then we don't really actually see him enter the picture here in 2018 until this past week uh, in the joint practice sessions with the Bears. And he's making everybody's notebooks. Everyone's talking about Jeff Hireman. And what was really exciting, I think, Zach, was to see him translate that performance onto the field of play. Because so often, especially over the last year, we hear about these great practices. We see the great practices in training camp, and they don't translate often on an individual level and even on a unit level to the actual playing field. But in Jeff Hireman's case, he absolutely did in preseason game two. He looked strong. He looked fresh. I mean, he was stiff-arming dudes, throwing them to the ground. So got to be uh, at least encouraged about Jeff Hireman. And clearly, though, too, one last thing I'll say here is that he's maintained his number one spot atop the depth chart. Clearly, the Broncos have zero plans at that change in uh, moving forward. I think even if Jake Butt, who we're really yet to see anything from in the preseason, even if Jeff Hireman were to sit the next two games and Jake Butt just tears it up, I think the Broncos' plan heading into the season is definitely for Jeff Hireman to be tight end number one. Yeah, listen, credit where credit's due. I was one of his biggest doubters, uh, detractors. I was always riding him, saying he was a bust and this and that, calling him the Cody Latimer of tight ends. But he came back to practice from his knee injury. He scored back-to-back touchdowns. He looked the part of what the Broncos want him to be. And the Broncos envision a big role for him. They have a big place on the roster for him. And Vance keeps talking him up. He always is kind of protecting his roster spot for a reason. They think he could be that weapon in his now in his uh, his uh, fourth year now. So yep, yep. I give him a lot of credit. I give him a lot of credit because he he's gonna I think push Fumagalli off the roster, the mm-hmm. the game day roster. I think Fumagalli might go to IR because mm-hmm. he's still out with that that groin strain. So Hireman is definitely atop the depth chart right now, and that's surprising to me because I thought Butt would take hold of that position already. Yep. Uh, but I give I give him a lot of credit because he's come out strong, he's come out motivated, and he's looking like a, a true pass catching threat for Case Keenum. Yeah, I just couldn't get over how physical and strong he looked, and just his presence and just kind of his command. And the, I never really have seen him play with that kind of confidence, at least as a Bronco. And it just it was refreshing. Now I'm with you. You know, tip your cap, credit where it's due. I don't mind standing up and eating a little crow, especially if it means the Broncos are doing good things. But let's face it again, this is preseason. You know, so Jeff Hireman mm-hmm. has to find a way to, like he did, translating it from practice to the playing field in preseason, translating his preseason performance into the regular season. 
Oh, one thing one thing is for sure now that he's locked into a roster spot. I thought he might be a surprise release candidate when final cuts come around, but now he's going to be on the roster for sure. He'll be probably up there with uh, Butt and uh, Austin Trailer. And again, I do think uh, Fumagalli will be moved to IR. I think at this point, you almost just have to bite the bullet because how effective could Fumagalli really be as a rookie right. considering he's been on the sideline for the majority of the summer? And especially when you see guys like Matt Lacoste, um, what's the other kid, Brian Parker? Brian Parker, you know, doing the Lord's work out on the on the gridiron. So it's not like these guys have just, you know, disappeared or been in the background. Both of those guys have looked pretty good in their limited opportunities through the first couple of preseason games. Yeah, I think they keep three on the fifty-three, and you know they don't have a problem redshirting players. They did it last year with Bud and Chad Kelly to give them a year off and let them get healthy and acclimated. So yep. I think uh, Fumagalli has a place in the future with the Broncos, but it, right now it's Hireman's job to lose, and Jake Bud is right behind him. That's right. Another guy that flashed for the second week in a row. We got to talk about Rolls Royce Freeman just dropping knowledge. I mean, watching this guy run with the football. For Broncos fans, should just be a pure joy because it's been a while since Denver had a running back who could consistently make guys miss, and we saw we've seen that through two games from Royce Freeman, both against the Vikings and the Bears. It's a pretty rare thing so far to see Royce Freeman go down on first contact, and you saw him talk about it when he was drafted in his introductory press conference as a shiny third round pick that he likes to be the aggressor, he likes to lay the wood. You go back and watch some of those runs on Saturday night against the Bears. There was a couple of times you could tell he was relishing the opportunity to kind of drop his shoulder. Got to be careful about lowering that head too much, lowering the helmet, but just laying the wood as the ball carrier. And again, though, he gets the touchdown to cap off Case Keenum's final drive. And I just like the fact here that he is picking up momentum. He's breaking tackles, and he's actually producing. When the chips are down, when it matters most, He's the guy that's getting it done. Meanwhile, you got Devontae Booker, who was, again, kind of another type of night from Devontae Booker. Maybe not as as bad as his uh, performance in the preseason opener, but still just another kind of forgettable performance from Devontae Booker. And especially one thing that really left me scratching my head, Zach, was on that big third and long, I think it was Case Keenum's second possession where they settled for the field goal. They got set back by a penalty, and uh, it was like third and 23 or whatever it was. They do the dump-off screen to Devontae Booker, hoping that he can make a few guys miss and, you know, throw it up there, hope something sticks, get past the, the third down marker or the first down marker. Obviously, he's not the guy to get that done. I know the Broncos want to give him some opportunities in the open field, see what he can do, but if you're really trying to move the sticks, that's a target that either needs to go to Royce Freeman or clearly Philip Lindsay. Yeah, Booker to me is trending downward, and I'm one of his bigger fans and bigger supporters, but he hasn't really shown much the last couple of weeks. He's kind of plotting. Mm-hmm. I saw one fan wrote on Twitter that he's running like he has weights around his ankles, and that's a good analogy to use because he's just he's not showing his quickness, his burst, not what the Broncos drafted him to be, especially as a pass catcher, like you said. In terms of Freeman, though, on his four-yard touchdown, it wasn't a long run, but you saw what he offers. Yeah. Quick cut, cutback ability, a nose for the end zone, initiated contact, and burst to the line. It's, like I said, a rich man's version of C.J. Anderson. That's what Royce Freeman is going to be for the Broncos. And when he was drafted in his 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Uh, post-draft press conference, he said that he likes to initiate contact. He mm-hmm. seeks out contact. He had a lot of tread uh, removed from his tires in Oregon. He's their all-time leading rusher there. Yeah. So, you know, he, he knows what it takes to run the football. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's a starting running back next week against the Redskins in the dress rehearsal game. Yeah. I, I think he's going to leap up the depth chart sooner than later. And I think Booker now finds himself at number three behind Freeman and Lindsey. The pecking order is changing here. Henderson and uh, and Williams haven't done much to me to stand out, but Freeman and uh, Lindsey have really looked good, and Freeman, I think, is going to be that starter when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, they they might stick to their guns at least nominally as with Devontae Booker as the RB1 on the depth chart, but when you look at the actual playing time and who's getting the most opportunities, who's getting the most snaps, the most touches – you're going to see it be Royce Freeman because the Broncos, I mean, if it's obvious to us, it's obvious to the Broncos. And Royce Freeman is just, you know, he, there's no excuses here. He's just, in every opportunity he's been given thus far, he's found a way to produce. And the NFL is the ultimate production-based business, and he's a guy that's getting it done. Meanwhile, Devontae Booker continues to just offer in average performance after another. I've long said that it's going to be Freeman on early downs and Booker on passing downs. And I don't think that'll change, like you said. I think going into week one, on seniority alone, title alone, Booker will be the starter. But based on the way it's trending right now, it will not be long until Freeman gets that top spot. And Booker might find himself on the roster bubble here. I, I think I know it's a kind of a hot take to say, but he there's too many other good players at the position, especially Lindsey coming on, and, and Booker has to step it up. He has no excuses now. They got rid of C.J. Anderson to give Booker a bigger shot, and he's not capitalizing. So I want to see more out of him. Yep, absolutely. If if he has any saving grace as far as what you know, you sit into if you're a fly on the wall in a, in these meeting rooms and the coaches are talking about who deserves to be on the roster and who brings what value to the position, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to hear these coaches really kind of drag their feet on the idea of Devontae Booker moving on, moving on from Devontae Booker because he's good at pass protection, or at least he's probably the best right now at pass protection. But you're seeing Philip Lindsay begin to eclipse him. I mean, he got some opportunities with the ones uh, against the Bears, and there was that one swing pass where they clearly – wanted to feature Lindsey as the tip of the spear uh, in the red zone. Keenum swings it out to the left, and it was very well covered and pursued by the Bears. But that's the type of play, using that burst and that speed and that acceleration that Lindsey has, that I could see really gashing the opposition uh, when the games swing around that actually begin to count. So really exciting from a couple of running backs. Uh, a lot remains to be seen from Booker. And while we're on the topic talking running backs, we might as well talk about D'Angelo Henderson, who he had one or two decent runs against yeah. the Bears, but he's still – I'm actually a little bit disappointed in D'Angelo Henderson because he was so dominant last year in the preseason. Then his one opportunity to shine in the regular season, he capitalizes, but he just kind of – he doesn't seem quite like himself thus far. 
I got to wonder if that car accident a couple months ago, it's still lingering a little bit. You know, he, they kind of downplayed that. Uh, maybe the injuries were worse. I don't know. Maybe his psyche was shaken up by that. I don't know what's gone on. But like you said, I was a huge fan of Hop last preseason. I thought he should have got playing time in the regular season. And then they just sat him for Jamal Charles. But I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's there's too many players to overcome. Not enough chances to go around. Maybe if he got some run with the first team uh, offense in the offensive line. But yeah, I haven't seen much from him. Him and uh, Williams both, they haven't really shown out to me. And I actually will say that Williams has done more to me to impress than Henderson. Yeah. He's been kind of a plotter, so uh, he's definitely another one trending downward. Yeah, It would be interesting before any kind of final evaluation is tendered to see Henderson with the first team, with that, that, that starting five blocking and opening up holes, and to see if he's still kind of meh or if he manages to you know sneak through a couple of, you know, open up a couple of big runs. He's kind of like a Royce Freeman light. They kind of are like the same running style, the same build. So they kind of have two of the same players, the Broncos, at that position. But Freeman by far is the better player already. Even coming in as a rookie, you know, Henderson has another year experience. I just Henderson is definitely by far the best running back on this team right this second. Now you got, if we move on, talk about the receivers. Emmanuel Sanders looks sharp. You know, enough said. Sanders is, I think, going to be pretty rejuvenated this year playing with Case Keenum. He looks explosive. He looks quick. Very good to see considering the amount of money the Broncos are paying him. But hey, let's talk about Deshaun Hamilton who got the start in Mm. place of Demarius Thomas and then Cortland Sutton coming in doing his work catching that touchdown down the scene from Chad Kelly. What were your thoughts on the two young rookie wideouts this past uh, weekend? Well, Hamilton should have had a bigger game if that flea flicker would have connected. Mm. That would have been a big gainer across the middle. He was wide open, and just uh, Keenum couldn't find him. I believe Keenum was hit on the play. Yeah. Um, Hamilton hasn't had the, the, the headlines like Cortland Sutton has, but he's quietly developed and quietly progressed, coming from a, a very kind of pro-style system at Penn State, and he's going to be a good player. Uh, but Sutton, again, how do you guard him? You can throw it up and he'll either go up and snatch it in the air or draw a, a pass interference penalty like you saw. Yep. He's just a monster already. I mean, he's just a, a day one contributor, and the Broncos are set for years to come at the position, and they have their two successors to Thomas and Sanders in Sutton and Hamilton. Really interesting to see that despite all the hype in training camp, when Demarius Thomas was sat down for game two, it was Deshaun Hamilton and not Cortland Sutton who got the start. Now, that might just be a semantics thing based on how the uh, offensive coordinator, how Bill Musgrave wanted to kind of roll out the offense and who's more familiar with playing on the outside versus the inside. And, you know, who knows exactly all the factors that went into it, but that's you still got to read that as a pretty strong vote of confidence in Deshaun Hamilton to be the one to step in and start opposite of Emmanuel Sanders with DT sitting out. I, I do think it's a vote of confidence, but if you remember week one, it was Sutton who came out on a, a three-wide receiver set. He was the third receiver with Thomas and Sanders, so they're kind of movable chess pieces. They're, you know, They can move them around. They're interchangeable, so it, it's definitely good for his, his standing in the team, but I wouldn't read too much into that formation specifically. I guess the key for both these guys is when they do receive their opportunities that they make the most of them. And I think it's fair to say thus far, especially after game two, both those guys passed with flying colors. Now, we move on to the big uglies up front. You know, the extended opportunities, the Broncos, uh, first-teamers playing into the second quarter, gave us more of a chance to see this unit jive and, and build chemistry. Ronald Leary was back in the starting lineup at left guard. Uh, that was nice to see instead of Max Garcia. He looked, Leary, a little unused to game speed 
he, he relinquished that one sack on Keenum, but uh, he recovered pretty well going back and watching the tape and, of course, was his usual mauling self in the run game. And overall, there was a couple of plays from the tackles that I'm sure that they would like to have back, but I thought it was a huge bounce-back game for Jared Veldier. And once again, Garrett Bowles, I think you're going to see an improved guy by leaps and bounds in pass protection, and he was his usual mean you know, physical bully mentality type of guy in the running game. So I think the way we can extrapolate this going forward, I'm I'm really high on this running game. When you put all the pieces together with uh, Royce Freeman and the way this O-line is shaping up and Keenum being able to make the right calls at the line of scrimmage, I think you're going to see a run game that can be pretty productive in 2018. Yeah, this O-line is set up to be a better run-blocking a front five than a pass blocking front five and Leary you know he has missed some practices he had that injury so he's going to take a little time to get used to it but there's no problem with him he's a pro bowl caliber player uh Garibald's look good like you said Connor McGovern looked good too on the right side he held it pretty well in pass protection and that was one area that he kind of struggled with last year I will say this though we have to hope and pray that Veldier and Bowles stay healthy because Billy Turner came in the game Ugh. and he just got owned yeah. around the edge so they cannot have mental league Watson starting billy turner starting at tackle they have to hope that Bowles and veldier both who have injury histories remain on the field it's crucial to their success in 2018 the one guy that i'll say as far as reserve tackles that has exceeded expectations for me thus far now granted i haven't gone down uh and and broken down each and every snap looking at the tackles like eric trickle has but i will say that Cyrus Quanjo has looked really good as the second team left tackle. And I think he has gone uh, a long way towards cementing his status as the official swing tackle for the Broncos, you know, with an eye toward the 53. You're a big fan of Quanjo. You, you mentioned him I a couple like shows. I do like Quanjo. I mean, I, was, uh, I wasn't high on him coming about out of Alabama, to be honest with you. I saw him as yet another overrated uh, Crimson Tide offensive lineman <laughs> with just – talk about tread missing from the tires i mean the way nick saban plays those dudes is unbelievable in college but last year when he arrived in denver he got some opportunities late in the year started in week 17 against the chiefs and from there i was like look this guy has a second round pedigree you know play won some national titles with the crimson tide i liked what i saw then and thus far just being frank he hasn't done anything to make me doubt him thus far yeah, it was Elway finally taking a chance on an Alabama player after so many years. <laughs> That's right. um, the Broncos really, really need, though, anyone, either Quanjo or Elijah Wilkinson. They have to start grooming a young tackle on the roster. They have no one waiting in the wings for Valdir, who's he when they traded for him, he's on his final year of his contract. Mm. He's a he's a stopgap player right now. So they gotta start developing a tackle. They didn't draft one. They don't have a, a successor waiting in the wings. You hope it's Quanjo, you hope it's Wilkinson, uh, maybe uh, Andreas snap if i'm pronouncing yep, that correctly got it, got it the dane uh but they have three there but they have to start finding a guy because Veldir might, might, might not be back next year if he remains healthy this season yeah that's kind of the wet blanket on the excitement that's kind of building around the starting five is the fact that jared Veldir is basically here on a one-year uh type of contract but look at it this way if he manages to exceed expectations holds down the fort at right tackle i can see the broncos bringing him back because you're not going to have Menelik Watson's albatross of a contract. You can Thank move. God. You can move across. You know, a couple of million, and maybe even give Jared Velder a little bit of a raise as an incentive to stick around on, say, you know, a two-year deal and bump him up to like, you know, eight million dollars a year. That's a small price to pay because now you're you're out from under that six million a year. You're paying Menelik Watson, 
and you just kind of laterally shovel over $2 million of that to keep Jared Valdir happy. In a best-case scenario, if the starting five plays well and he stays healthy, I could see that happening. Yeah, if he plays well and he holds up at right tackle, they'll write him a blank check considering what they witnessed with Donald Stevenson and Menelik Watson. Uh, the thing is, though, if they pay Matt Paradis, they might be a little reluctant to give another lineman an extension. But I agree with you. If he does play well, he holds up. Uh, they will try to assign him. He he might have a, a price that exceeds their uh, limit for him. But I think they'll make a big push to assign him if he stays healthy, if, if he performs. This was a guy a couple of years ago in Arizona. He was a top 15, 20 tackle in the NFL. Mm -hmm. If they can get that kind of production on the right edge, they're going to be in good shape. Absolutely. Now we move over to the other side of the ball, Von Miller, who got word late last week that he wasn't going to play after he was suiting up and warming up and ready to go and got the tap on the shoulder and said, here's your sunflower seeds, go sit down. (laughs) Well, that didn't happen this week. He finally got to play, and it was actually a little bit of a change-up if you're looking at – you know, the past. I mean, last year he didn't debut in the preseason until the dress rehearsal in week three. And so we got to see Vaughn, though, and there's a reason why. We got to see Vaughn because of all the hubbub last week over how just not good. Let's put it that way. The first teamers looked on both sides of the ball. And again, the reason why this preseason matters more than the typical preseason is because this is a Broncos team coming off of a 5-11 and finish, and it's not like they went, you know, 0-11 and won the final five. I mean, it was an eight-game losing streak. They, they, what was it? They lost, well, yeah, they lost eight of their, no, they lost six of their final eight, I think it was. Anyway, but regardless, <laughs> not the type of trajectory you want to see at the tail end of a season, even for a team whose playoff destiny was squashed pretty quickly last year. So the fans and the front office, there's just a lot in the media. There's just a lot more scrutiny on this team. So everything's being analyzed. Every little last piece, every uh, individual player, the units, the first, second team, but especially the starters. And so fortunately, we got to see Von Miller. He didn't notch a sack, but he looked damn good. And the way I see this is, as a, as a first-team unit, the way it's shaping up in my eyes, it's kind of reminding me a little bit of, you don't have to take it all the way back to 2005, but even 2011, the Broncos defense, that Tebow mm-hmm. season, that whirlwind, that was a stout defense, but they were more of a bend-don't-break. They, they would allow some points, they would allow some yards between the 20s, but they would more often than not, keep their opponent out of the end zone. And then late in the game, when the chips were down, they'd always find a way to make a play in the clutch. And I can see this defense following a similar trajectory in 2018. They might not be the dominant imposers of their will that the 2015 Broncos were. That might be a year or two down the road, let some of these younger guys kind of grow and develop. But I still see this first-team unit as being kind of the strong suit of this, this team moving forward. Yeah, about Vaughn, I, I gotta, I can't fault Vance Joseph for not playing in no. week one. I mean, this no. is your franchise player, and all the injuries that are happening in preseason, I would put him in bubble wrap. But mm-hmm. he gave him a shot. I think he felt some pressure from the media and the fan base to play Vaughn Miller just for a series. And did you notice him walking Charles Leno right back in the oh. lap of Mitch Trubisky? Yep. He just, uh, he owned him, and that's Vaughn doing Vaughn things, so he's fine there. In terms of the defense, though, the pass rush is going to be on point. You know, you have Vaughn Miller, you, you have Shaq. Barrett who didn't play. You have Jeff Holland, Marcus Rush. You have Shane Ray still on the roster somewhere in the, with the third stringers. <laughs> He's out there somewhere. Uh, 
<laughs> but they have an interior rush now. And that's something that I really, really like to see. We'll talk about that in just one second here. Mm-hmm. But that's what they didn't have last year. And what they lose in the secondary, that's the weakest point to me. Yeah. They're going to make up in the interior. So, um, yeah, Bemba don't break. They looked – I think they looked pretty well. They're getting pressure. Um, they had an interception with Simmons. Yep. They had a couple shaky points there. But it's uh, if they could just be a Bemba don't break, if the offense can pull their own weight, the yep. defense doesn't have to be so elite. They can be a little lax at times if the offense can put some points on the board and help them out. Yep, absolutely. It was fun, just as a quick side note here, too, on that Simmons interception to see how he baited the young quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, to, to throw that ball, and he oh, swooped yeah. it up, returns it 20 yards. But let's talk about the number 5 overall pick, Bradley Chubb, who I thought looked quite explosive in preseason game two. You look at that safety play where you know he was pretty lucky. Obviously, the Broncos lucked out that Mitch Trubisky took his eye off the ball for that split second and allowed it to hit the turf uh, backed up in their own end zone. But Bradley Chubb capitalized, and he looked like he was just straight shot out of a cannon. He was right there on top of Trubisky before he could do anything for the safety. And there was even a couple of plays where Bradley Chubb was his duty, his assignment on this particular call was to go out into coverage, take the running back, and even drop into a zone. And I, I got to say, I've never, I never really saw him do that in college as a defensive end. He was an, officially a defensive lineman, but he looked good, surprised me in coverage. The one thing I'll say, there was that one play where he got held um, and it, it got called back, a big long run on the, on the edge there. But I still want to see him establish some better leverage in setting the edge. So that's my only – it's a small critique – but too many times have I seen running backs through these first two games get the edge or sneak through the hole on Bradley Chubb's run side. So if he can shore that up, I, I can see Bradley Chubb really quickly becoming a high-impact player for the Broncos. Yeah, in the first game, he, he was playing a little tight, a little tentative. Yeah. And this game, he just let it all out. And he showed what made him the, the fifth overall pick. And on that safety, even if Trubisky didn't bobble the snap, that was a handoff. And he would have lit the running back up yeah. in the end zone. That's he just a had an explosion point. off the edge. And that's what you want to see from him. So as a pass rusher, I really don't have any problems with him. And it, like you said, in, in coverage, he, um, he, he guarded the running back out in the flat. And he was step for step with him. And that's not easy to do. People forget that he was the defensive end in college, converting to a 3-4 outside linebacker. It's two different responsibilities, two different positions, two two different assignments playing in space versus playing with your hand in the dirt. You saw with Demarcus Walker last year, it's not the easiest uh, transition to make. So he did look better in coverage. Like you said, I I want to see him a little bit better on the edge and run support, but that'll come with time and coaching and DeMarcus Ware, Von Miller there. But uh, it was a huge rebound performance from the number five overall pick, and he's showing just a glimpse of what he's going to bring for years to come. I think the most encouraging thing to me was there's a lot of ballers on that Broncos defense, and Bradley Chubb just, he looked like he fit right in. And so I think it's going to be a good year for him. Now, you brought up the defensive line, obviously run-stopping, I mean, there's a couple of lapses, and a lot of that I chalk up to communication, and just this unit needs a little bit more time on task. But The world is always on, but you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. During Mattress Firm's sleeping spree event, save up to 50% on ceiling. With queen mattresses starting at $349.99. Only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details. Texting 
privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Watching the actual defensive linemen, Derek Wolf, Domita Pecco, and Adam Gotsis, I mean, they stopping the they run ball. is not going to be a problem for them. Yeah. I mean, that's the kit, the issue. And I think you're right, especially looking at some of the depth pieces between Demarcus Walker. We got to see Clinton McDonald out there, which was good, big number 98. I think you're going to see more of an interior push this year. Pecco is just that immovable force in the middle. He had a great game. Wolf was very active. So was Gottes. Against the run, they're going to be a, a top 10 unit easy, maybe even top five again. Uh, but like I said, I've been saying this for, for weeks, months now. What they lacked last year on defense was an interior push. It's pushing the pocket back on the quarterback's face, making him go left and right instead of stepping up in the pocket. And that's what you saw. Demarcus Walker had a couple quarterback pressers and a sack. He's my breakout candidate for this year. He's going to be a star with the Broncos defense and Clint McDonald. This is why they signed him. He he was the reserve player uh, past couple years in Seattle and Tampa, but he he put sacks on the board. So you put those players in the defense with the outside linebackers, it's going to be scary to watch, and their sack totals are going to skyrocket. Yeah. I mean, you think about how impactful Shelby Harris was last year in spot duty, you know, finishes second on the team with five sacks. That's the type of season McDonald had last year, also in more of a reserve right. role. So if they can get a five sacks out of both Shelby Harris and McDonald, and then, as you say, I, I will not be surprised if, if Walker's another guy that can chip in you know, close to a half dozen sacks. I mean, you could start seeing the Broncos go back from that 33 sacks they finished at last year as a team back up into the 40s. And, I mean, I don't think 50s is completely out of the question if everything comes together the way – it could. So we'll move on here. We'll talk about, uh, we'll save our talk for the secondary when we get to the mailbag. There's a question in particular that'll allow us to kind of sink our teeth into that. Isaac Yadam and whatnot, Tremaine Brock's debut. We'll get to that. But let's talk about Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis, who were on the field together for the first time of the preseason. There's a couple lapses, but I would say that Marshall and Davis looked good together, looked experienced, looked comfortable, looked confident. Both of them, you could see there were times where they were shooting gaps, stopping ball carriers in their tracks. And especially what stood out to me, Zach, was that phenomenal third down play where Tariq Cohen has a full head of steam. And Davis, you know, he he gets the right angle, cuts him off, and just stops him in his tracks short of the first down. Now the Bears went on to go for it on fourth down. Mitch Trubisky with QB sneak, and they, they converted. But that was one hell of a play from Todd Davis. 
I was I was hooting and hollering that he made that stop. He stopped him full momentum in his tracks and didn't let him get another inch. Um, so Todd Davis, that's been kind of his biggest thing. He's a good open field tackler. They're good in run support, but you want to see what they do in pass coverage. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with them against the run. It's pass coverage that scares me, but... Uh, Todd Davis got that three-year extension. Uh, he he has to prove that he he's worthy of the money. He can be a starter next to Brandon Marshall, and that was just a hell of a play. Like you said, I have no gripes with him in that game. The other thing we're we're talking about linebackers, we might as well bring it up is the uh, the tight ends. I mean, obviously we we've been hearing rumbles out of camp, um, and especially these joint practices with the Bears that the tight ends were just eaten, and uh, unfortunately that continued on Saturday night with. Both Trey Burton having himself a big game. You saw Adam Shaheen make a play or two. And then even late in the game, that go-ahead score, I forget the kid's name, uh, the third-team tight end that that caught that pass. So it's looking like the tight ends are going to be yet another thorn in the side of the Broncos for another year. you got to hope that Sua Cravens, who Vance Joseph told us, I think it was Thursday, that they're hopeful he can be back on the practice field this coming week and actually play in the Washington game on the road next week. So... We're, we're, and then you got Will Parks getting hurt. That hurts Denver's ability to cover tight ends. Not that he's like some all-pro, but he's been playing a lot better this this preseason than we saw from him last year. So that, for me, if, you, if I had to boil it down, the secondary, honestly, and again, we're going to talk about that later on in the show, is not my biggest concern. I guess you can tie this to the secondary, but my biggest concern, Zach, is matching up and handling opposing tight ends, especially those that are the big athletic pass catchers like we saw on Saturday night. Trey Burton, he might be one of the best-kept secrets in the NFL right now. Yeah, I have some gripes with the secondary, but I'll save that for the mailbag questions. In terms of guarding tight ends, though, hashtag get healthy Sua because they need him now. This is why they acquired him. That's his wheelhouse is to guard tight ends. And the Broncos, I don't know if it's scheme or personnel, they just cannot defend tight ends. Trey Burton hurt the Broncos last year with the Eagles, scored a touchdown in that blowout. They just cannot defend athletic tight ends. I don't know what it is. Uh, Parks getting hurt didn't help. Cravens being out didn't help. But uh, it's going to fall also not just on the safeties, but Marshall and Davis, the inside linebackers, and Josie Jewell, who they drafted for that reason. They have to learn how to defend them, whether it's bracketing them, double teaming them, chipping them, whatever. It cannot allow them to happen. They cannot allow tight ends to catch the ball in the middle of the field, convert first downs, find the end zone. Cravens has to get back on the field ASAP. It has to happen. And the thing that really stuck in my craw about Saturday night was that touchdown that Burton hauled in. I mean, he was completely unaccounted for, wide open in the flat. I mean, that's that's a communication issue. Who knows, it might be a, a play call issue, the way that, that Joe Woods uh, assigned that particular, you know, he, the way he aligned to what the offense was showing. We don't know the full picture, but one thing's clear. You can't have tight ends, especially good tight ends, running free in the red zone. So let's move on, though, and just talk about a couple of the standouts from the second team. Um, you got to talk about, first off, Chad Kelly, who comes in on the heels of Justin Simmons' interception there. 44 yards to go for a touchdown, and it was a good kind of synergy of Chad Kelly working the run game, you know, capitalizing on his opportunities to throw, drives the team down, touchdown down the seam to Cortland Sutton. And you saw more opportunities here, again, for Chad Kelly. Everyone was wondering how he was going to look against, ostensibly, the better competition of the second team going against second team. I mean, most of those guys are going to be on the Bears roster uh, come September. These are the backups, if you will. How would Chad Kelly look? Would he rise to the occasion? 
he looked just as good, if not better, in my opinion, than the debut against the Vikings. He did have one rookie mistake, and that was him running out of bounds and allowing basically a sack instead of just throwing the ball away, uh, running out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. But you take that one play away, and Chad Kelly actually looked like the quarterback in the most command of what was happening on the field for the Broncos. Now, that's not me saying in any way there should be a quarterback controversy in Denver. I'm not (laughs) saying that at all, so you know, pump the brakes if you're thinking that. I'm just saying that if it's me, and maybe I have uh, orange-colored glasses on here, but I'm not that concerned at this point if Case Keenum goes down that Chad Kelly could not step in and keep things on track. Would he have a few of those boneheaded plays that you're going to get from an inexperienced quarterback? Yeah, those are going to come out in the wash, just like you saw him a time or two from Brock Osweiler in 2015 for those those five games or whatever it was that he started. He won most of them, but there were a few plays, especially on the road in Pittsburgh, where you could tell he was an inexperienced quarterback just making the type of plays that you have to make in order to learn and grow in the NFL. But aside from that, Zach, I mean, he's proving to the Broncos that, look, you can trust me, John. You can trust me, Vance. He did not turn the ball over this time around. I don't know what more they have to see out of him to make him the, the cemented number two quarterback. Vance is still leaving it up in the air saying he can't commit fully. It might be Elway's call. Uh, they haven't decided as a unit what they want to do. I think they can be comfortable going into the season with only two quarterbacks now. Like To your point, yep. I thought they needed three, but they might not. Kelly is just progressing faster than I think they they expected. Mm-hmm. I, he just looks like a true uh, quarterback who, who is not as inexperienced as his resume says. Right, A guy who up until a week ago didn't play a game for over two years, and he came in through two touchdowns. He just brings this energy, this, this alpha mentality, this leadership, this it factor. It's all cliche, but it's yep. true. And it's everything that Paxton Lynch doesn't bring to the team. It's everything that when Lynch enters the game, there's this there's this negative just presence around the team. Is everyone just brought down? The energy's down. Kelly comes in and just hit the crowd chants his name, his his arm, his laser arm on that touchdown pass is sudden. He yep. just there's still vapor trails at Bronco Stadium right now. Yep. So I, I don't know what more you can you can expect out of Chad Kelly hope for. He's come in and done his job and all they can do right now is compete against second stringers. You might say, oh well they're backups, but he's doing what's asked to him. And I said today, I put it on Twitter, they should get him one series with the starting unit next week. It won't happen, but I think he deserves one series just to see what he can do with the full starting offense. That would be interesting. I mean, the one thing you got to really tip your hat to Chad Kelly on is that thus far, no moment has seemed too big for him. And he's been in some pretty big moments in terms of, I mean, last week especially, there were some expectations built in. This wasn't just a guy under the radar looking to make his play up the depth chart like it was in the opener. This time around, he had some eyeballs on him looking to see if he could hang with the big boys as the number two quarterback. And I've said it before, He's the alpha to Lynch's beta. You know, as you said, he's the antithesis to Paxton Lynch, where Paxton Lynch, uh, you know, is timid. You got Chad Kelly, absolutely confident, where Paxton Lynch will hold on to the ball. Chad Kelly will unload it and trust what he sees. So, I mean, we could go down the line, but Chad Kelly has just proven himself, I think, up to this point and really exceeded even the Broncos' wildest expectations, which is one of the reasons I think they have not – gone so far as to say anything permanent about him being the backup because I think they're still trying to kind of come to terms with how far along Chad Kelly has uh, gotten himself this far into the preseason still with two games left to go. 
they have a lot of calls to make uh, at running back, receiver, tight end, defensive line. They have to decide who they want to keep. And if they need a roster spot, I think they could be comfortable only carrying two quarterbacks, not needing a veteran, not needing Paxton Lynch. Chad Kelly could be that backup to Case Keenum. And like you said earlier, if he has to come in, if Keenum, God forbid, goes down, knock on wood, you wouldn't feel so scared with Chad Kelly coming into the game. You think there's still a chance they can hang around. Uh, So put it this way, though. If he stays in the game last night, they never lose. They win that game going away. So that's all I really need to say about him and his progress. Absolutely. We still got Paxton Lynch to get to. We also have to get to the Mile High Mailbag, answer the slew of questions we received from our listeners this week. But first, we got to say thank you to our sponsor of today's show, FanDuel. You guys, it's been a long offseason without football. We're all savoring this opportunity to, to watch the best game in the world. And FanDuel has spent this past offseason basically getting into the best shape of, of their lives. That means this. FanDuel is ready for more, more ways to play, more ways to challenge your friends, and most importantly, more ways to win. Now, I've been playing FanDuel now for a couple of years. It's hands down my favorite place to play fantasy sports, even in the preseason. And FanDuel is just, it's never been more fun or easier to play. And if you're not a fantasy expert, don't worry about it. FanDuel is clearly the best place to play, and especially for those who are still kind of learning the game. And let's face it, FanDuel has something for everybody. Now, for me, what I've really enjoyed, especially with my experience with FanDuel, is the beat the score contests, uh, the gridiron pick them. I love being able to play with some of my buddies who we've been in a regular traditional fantasy football league together, some of us for 12 years, but we also met up and continued to play on FanDuel, and we've just been having a ton of fun doing it. Plus, the opportunity is there for, for, some, for some rewards, some legitimate ability to earn. And, I mean, here's the thing. You hear, you see FanDuel everywhere. You hear FanDuel everywhere this time of year, and there's a reason why. They are the leader in fantasy football, and especially daily fantasy. And we all know how fun fantasy football is. Let's face it. Fantasy football, I mean, it makes an already awesome game that much more compelling, that much more fun. And with FanDuel, you don't have to wait until the end of the season to see whether or not you won the, the pot in your league. You can compete daily for cash and prizes. So if you're looking to take your fantasy football experience to the next level, you absolutely have to jump over to FanDuel. And right now, you can get a $20 bonus when you make your first deposit on FanDuel. So come play with us. Come play with Zach and I over at FanDuel.com slash HuddleUp. That's FanDuel.com slash HuddleUp. All right. Let's talk about Paxton Lynch here, okay? And I'll Mm -hmm. say this. Look, you know, he didn't ask for this per se, I felt a little bit sorry for him, and it's unfortunate that I have to feel sorry for a Denver Broncos quarterback, that we're at that point where I'm actually feeling pity for it. Okay. <laughs> he takes the field, uh, I don't know what it was, halfway through the third quarter, and he's booed by the home crowd, by the Bronco faithful. I mean, what more of an indictment do you need? What more of a message needs to be sent upstairs to the box there, to John Elway, to Gary Kubiak? Uh, I mean, it's time. It's time. This guy's worn out as welcome. And Vance Joseph said it last week when he was trying to explain how Paxton Lynch felt about getting benched. And one of the things he communicated to us that he tried to convey to Paxton was the best players play in the NFL. It's not like the team's best players don't play. If you're the best player, you're going to play. And conversely, if you're one of the worst players, you're going to be on the third team, maybe even some of these you know, fourth team type of guys. But Paxton Lynch is the third-team quarterback for a reason. If you're looking at a roster of 90 guys, 
in Denver right now, Paxton Lynch is probably number 89, if not 90, in terms of mm. ability to play right now and utility and value to the team right now. I think the Broncos know it's time to move on. And uh, just don't be surprised if, it's, if it happens this week because if the Broncos are still considering the possibility of bringing in an outside vet, they're going to need to get that person time on task, opportunity to get some live bullets uh, in, in Bill Musgrave's offense. And with two more preseason games left on the docket, the sand is, is passing through that, that hourglass, so to speak. So they're getting a little bit closer to crunch time where they're going to have to, you know what, or get off the pot. So just overall, I think that was a pretty sad uh, punctuation, Zach, on Paxton Lynch's career thus far as a Bronco. I also kind of felt bad, I guess, when he was came onto the field in the second the second half of the second preseason game, and he was booed mercilessly by the Broncos fan base. But then I remembered that when he was told that he was being demoted, he asked for what? Why? Why is this happening? He why just does me, not. Coach, why well, me? He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand, and, that, and that's where my my pity and my sorrow kind of ends for him. I, he just doesn't have what it takes, and he he's a former first round pick, and he can't even dominate guys who won't be in the NFL in two weeks. Nope. So. He has one out of his welcome. The fans are turning on him. It does send a message. Like you said, that's a great point. And Elway was listening. He was there, and he yeah. heard the boos. He he heard the reaction, and it's the opposite of what Chad Kelly gets. Um, the thing I'll say this, though, is that I don't think it's going to happen this week. I think they'll let one more game pass, and then they'll make their move. And I don't necessarily believe they have to get the veteran quarterback some reps. He's just an emergency guy. I mean, they signed Austin Davis – a couple of years ago, late in the process, True. you know, so they just want a guy who's going to come in and be a fail safe. I will say though, that what, what, you know, it was going to be a regular season audition for me. It was going to get one more season. Now I think it's, it's whittled down to the preseason. Now it's, it's, he has to perform or he'll, he'll be gone by the time final cuts rolled around. And at this point, it's looking like a foregone conclusion, but I, I just don't see the place for him. You know, like you said, 89 out of 90 guys, <laughs> why would you keep him around? What is he offering? He's an albatross. Mm. When he's on the field, the entire – the fan base is, is sad and forlorn and the, the offense has no energy, no swagger. It's just it's, – it's hurting the team more than it's helping. And I think it would give Joseph some credibility if he holds Lynch accountable and says, you know what, you didn't play well enough, you got to go. Yep. And here's the thing too. Okay, think about this. Next week is the dress rehearsal. What does that mean? Case Keenum's going to start the game. He's going to play through the entire first half, if everything goes as according to plan, and the opening possession of the third quarter. That means the opportunity for playing time. The Broncos actually have to make some decisions. They have to set their priorities. And the priority at this point has to be getting the guy at this point who you project to be the backup anyway, the most experience in live bullets as possible. That's Chad Kelly. Next week, literally, Paxton Lynch has zero utility to the Broncos because of how he's proven himself up to this point. There's literally zero reason for the Broncos to bring Paxton Lynch in at the top of the fourth quarter, halfway through the fourth quarter, final possession. There's no reason for it. And then you think, well, if Paxton Lynch is gone, what are you going to do in the fourth preseason game? Give it to Chad Kelly, the guy who needs the experience, the guy who is actually doing you a solid here, Broncos. He's actually giving you the opportunity to get out from under the albatross and pack some lynch, and he's also making it possible with every snap he plays that you do not have to carry 
three quarterbacks on the roster. And thus, if you want to keep that extra offensive lineman, you can. You want to keep six wideouts in a completely stacked depth chart? You can do it. You want to keep four running backs and a fullback? Now you can do it thanks to Chad Kelly. So it's a good problem to have here, Zach, that, you know, Kelly's kind of forcing a situation here, but that's not the worst thing. I fully agree with you. It's a good problem to have. And the playing time next week will be determined by how the offense performs. If they, uh, the first string has a couple touchdown drives, and I think they'll gain Keenum out and not risk injury. And they'll bring uh, Kelly in probably at the start of the third quarter. But like you said, where do you go from there? What do you gain by bringing Lynch into the fourth quarter of the third preseason game? Even if he performs well, does that overrule his past right. and his failures? I, I just don't see the, the, the upside. So they might, like you said, they might have to decide now to move on or to retain him. And I think it's leaning towards that former decision. It's just going to be interesting to see if Elway's truly ready to swallow his pride, wipe that egg off his face, and move on. But it will be like, you know, we keep using the A word, albatross. This team, it'll be like a new lease on life. So that's what Broncos fans have to look forward to, is that time's coming. We're getting closer, okay? The Paxton Lich experiment is almost completely over. So just hang with it a little bit longer. Now, we move on to the Mile High Mailbag once again because Zach and I are your football priests, and we're here always to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. And the first one, we touched on this, but it comes from Dion Hicks, great listener to the show. His question, Zach, after his performance, do you think Royce Freeman will jump Devontae Booker on the depth chart? Your answer for Dion. Not initially. Yeah, nominally, like you said, by title, by seniority, right. Booker will probably go into the regular season atop the depth chart. But it's a formality because Freeman is the future. He is your early down workhorse. He can be your every down guy, uh, your top dog there, the lead back. So it only is a matter of time before Freeman does become the RB1. But I think in the short term, in the interim, I think it is Booker's job for now. Yep. Cannot disagree. Next question comes from Sean Thill. Sean's question, how bad is it going to set the Broncos back to cut Paxton Lynch in regards to the salary cap? Now, a quick note on this. Last week, I think it was, Bob Morris published a piece on milehighhuddle.com. You can go find it, where he details out exactly what it's going to cost the Broncos to move on from Paxton Lynch. But if I recall right, it's somewhere around $3.5 bucks dead cap this year, plus a little, I think, that will get floated into next year as well. So, you know, John Elway, Zach, he's not one who typically likes to live with and operate with a lot of dead cap. Uh, but this is just one that he's going to have to bite the bullet, I think. I mean, they only have about nine and a half million right now. And what's another two? What's what's the difference between nine and a half and seven and a half if they have to swallow that or six and a half? It, it's it sends a bigger message than just money. It sends an accountability message. It, it holds players accountable. It, it gets the best out of your team. And that roster spot, even if they have to eat some money, could go toward a better player, yep. a guy who's going to contribute this season. So I don't think the I don't think money is the biggest thing that's going to determine his fate. It's going to be Elway's ego. Yep. And if he can move on from a first-round pick, a guy who he handpicked, a guy who he passed on Kaepernick for, don't want to bring him up, and, I, and he traded up at the draft for Yep. Can he move on from him in the preseason in his third year? That's what it's going to come down to, not necessarily the salary cap. Yep, because it is an indictment. It is a reflection <clears throat> on the front office because let's just take away all of the personality 
that is in the Paxton Lynch situation, the player himself, just take that out of it. We're talking about a failed first-round pick less than three seasons into his pro career. So that's an indictment on a front office for really getting it wrong and not that long ago. But it's been so bad that John Elway is not going to have much choice but to just bite the bullet. So we move on to Jacob Smith at JSMileHigh9798 on Twitter. After preseason game two, how big of an issue is the secondary depth? And then his comment is, it looks like Harris, Roby, Simmons, and everyone else. Parks has uh, a good camp. Yadam is getting targeted relentlessly, which could translate to the regular season many issues. And I'll say this about Yadam. Yes, he is going to continue to be targeted relentlessly without mercy until he stops somebody, until he makes a quarterback pay. And the Broncos just have to come to terms with that if he's going to be on the field. But I'll tell you this much. If it's between him and Brendan Langley being on the field, you want Yadam on the field for multiple reasons. In fact, if you go back and watch the tape, it was clear the Bears went into this game planning on targeting Isaac Yadam, the third-round pick, the rookie. And there were multiple plays where he was clearly in position, made a few good tackles, including that terrible call where he got flagged on the hit on Adam Shaheen where he lowered his helmet. That was just a BS call. And let me tell you this, and I'm, I'm taking off the orange glasses here, okay? I'm telling you the truth. That P.I. call deep down the right sideline on Yadam, he didn't get his head turned around, which is why he got the call, but it was still ticky-tacky, and I have a hard time believing that the refs actually pull out the yellow laundry, Zach, in the regular season on that play. But I'll say this, one last thing. Overall, I was stoked on Tremaine Brock. I thought he looked like he belonged. Uh, He held down the fort. You didn't really see uh, the opposing quarterback target him much, which I think shows some of the respect that the league has for him, even though he spent mostly – you know, 2017 was kind of a where is Tremaine Brock type of season. But overall, I understand the concerns in the secondary as far as the depth of corner, Zach. But I think still fans are maybe overreacting a little bit on Isaac Yadam. Give him, pump the brakes a little bit, in my opinion. Give him more of an opportunity here because he's really gotten some bad breaks and some bad calls. First of all, about the refs, there was almost 300 total yards and penalties yesterday, so it was yeah. absolutely ridiculous. I wasn't surprised. Um, the secondary, I have my concerns. I'm not going to lie. You know, you have Chris Harris Jr., who is great. He's a pro bowler, all pro. You don't have a problem with him. Bradley Roby is good enough to perform. I think he deserves that spot. And Tremaine Brock, I agree with you. He had a really good Broncos debut yesterday. Uh, good run support good in coverage very active player below them though i'm scared i don't like what the depth they have they have yadam who's kind of a project and he's going to be a good player i think but in the meantime in his rookie season he's going to be tested and teams are already picking on him you saw it in minnesota you saw it against the bears they are targeting him Below him, you have Brennan Langley, who can't even see first-string snaps, second-string second snaps. Yep. He's I didn't like that pick to begin with, and he's already fourth on the depth chart, if not lower than that. And then below them, you have uh, uh, Marcus Rios and, and C.J. Smith and Michael Hunter. It's just a no-name group. Yep. I would call Kayvon Webster right now. <laughs> I would healthy. bring another. I would bring another cornerback, and he is healthy. He's over. He's over that Achilles injury, or Bashad Breeland, someone. Dominic Rogers, Camardi. They need another veteran back there to give them some stability behind Brock, who he has some injury concerns also. And I'm just not True. ready to give that that role to Yadam or Langley. They just haven't earned it yet, especially Langley, who was a third round pick, and he's not doing anything. So yeah. I have my concerns with this with the cornerbacks. The safeties, though. Yeah, there's some injuries there. Uh, Park is going to be okay, fortunately. They lost to Mall Carter. Uh, DeMonte Thomas is hurt right now. But once Stubble Cravens gets back on the field, 
you're going to see a different dynamic from this defense. They're going to start guarding tight ends, guarding running backs, better in pass defense, and they're going to be fine there. And Justin Simmons is going to be a pro bowler this season. He is a stud in the making. So I have less worries about the safety group than I have the cornerbacks. I think they need another veteran, though. I'm not fully ready to go into the season trusting Yadam and Langley with those spots. You might be right, but just keep in mind as well, the last two games, both of them, the Broncos started without one of their quote-unquote starting corners. So the first game they were without Tremaine Brock, that meant Yadam had to play, had to start. Second game they were without Chris Harris, that means Yadam's going to start. And of course, in those situations, the opposing quarterback and offensive coordinator are going to take notice, especially with the tape thus far. And again, it's not like Yadam has been getting exploited or like just dominated in coverage and juked left and right. I mean, he's staying on his guy. He's doing his job. He's just got to make a couple of small tweaks. And one of them is, I don't like the fact that he's not getting his head around. I mean, he wasn't a guy. Nick Kendall, he'll talk about it all day. Eric Trickle as well on their, on their shows. Yadam was not a guy known as a ball hawk. And in fact, he was considered to have very poor corner skills, okay, coming out of college. I think he had three career interceptions or something at Boston College, whatever it might be. And unfortunately, that's the one thing right now that I see as hurting his ability to develop early is just that instinct for the ball, not knowing when the ball's closing in so that you can make your final move, um, whether it's whipping your head around, whether it's you know, jacking your arm in there between the, the receiver's arms there to, to, to break up the pass, whatever. You're just not seeing that that last half split second of a close from Yadam. And I think with the more of these reps that he gets, uh, there's going to be more of an opportunity for that. But again, I'm not disagreeing with you and that the Broncos might want to look at bringing in a veteran. I think, though, they are going to let the rest of the preseason play out before they come to any kind of conclusion on that. Yeah, the Yadam thing, turning his head, that's a coaching technique issue. And maybe my pessimism stems from my lack of faith in Vance Joseph, who was a secondary coach. Uh, He hasn't developed anyone. And he was hired last year, and the Broncos' secondary immediately fell off a cliff. They even with uh, keep to leave in there, and the, I don't know. Maybe I just don't believe he's the right man to coach this secondary up and to coach two raw cornerbacks and Langley and Yadam. But um, I agree with you. I think he'll get a trial by fire, regardless. Yeah. And fortunately, if they can, the top three remain healthy. It's not the onus isn't fully on him. He made a good point that Harris wasn't playing last night. Um, he will be a good player, but Langley though, I don't really see it. Yep, I understand. I'm with you on that. Let's move through these last few. We're running out of time here. Uh, quickly, Rogers' question. I know it's still very early, and you have to see some people play more, but if the 2019 NFL draft was tomorrow, who would you take? You know, I'm not going to throw any names out because I don't want to lie and pretend like I know all the names right now that are going to be in the 2019 draft. I'm not Nick Kendall or any of those guys. But here's what I will say. If I'm the Denver Broncos going into the draft next year, I'm looking at drafting a corner really, really high. Yeah, I was going to say corner. I would have said quarterback before Chad Kelly came on, but a cornerback, uh, maybe a right tackle, maybe an inside linebacker. Um, that's what I think I would go with. They don't need a receiver. They don't need a running back. They don't need a tight end. So I think I agree with you. I think cornerback or um, inside linebacker is a top pick next year. Next question comes from Driscoll Jones. Who's going to have the better rookie year, Chubb, Sutton, or Freeman? Your answer. That's a great question. It's so hard to pick between them. I think it comes down to volume, though, and Mm -hmm. your definition of what better is. Based on volume, Freeman is going to be the biggest contributor. 
as he might be the starter. Uh, Sutton's kind of a bit player. He's the third receiver, if not fourth, behind Hamilton. And Chubb is going to kind of split reps with Shane Ray and Shaq Barrett in the outside linebacking core. Um, They're all going to contribute, though. They're all going to bring massive qualities and ability to the table. Uh, But the the best rookie year by, by production, I think it will be Royce Freeman. I agree. I agree completely. Royce Freeman's on deck for a really good year, provided he stays healthy. Last question comes from Chef M. He says, I'm sensing the Broncos are missing something in their 3-4 defense. Could it be a three-down linebacker? Any ideas how we stack up against the best 3-4 Ds in the league and where the Broncos are deficient? Um, Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I am still not convinced. You know, the Broncos basically went into this past offseason feeling like they were okay at off-ball linebacker at the top of the depth chart because you had Brandon Marshall still under contract making bank and then they decided to bring back Todd Davis and even though they didn't hand him some overpriced whopping contract they're paying him you know he's he's making 5 million a year or something like that this year mm-hmm. and so beyond them though obviously they took the position very seriously in the draft taking Josie Jewell in the 4th round and then Keyshawn Bearia later what remains to be seen is whether or not those two guys can step up to the plate and serve as legitimate depth, I think, to Marshall and Davis, because both Marshall and Davis have struggled with injuries themselves over the years. So I think regardless, what you're going to see is Josie Jewell getting a lot more playing time as a rookie than I think anyone might have anticipated when, when his name was called on draft day. But I think that's the biggest thing right now is neither one of those off-ball linebackers have been able to prove themselves in coverage. There was a time in 2015 when Brandon Marshall looked like he could hold his own, but the last two seasons and what we've seen up to this point in the preseason have kind of gone against that body of work. So you got to, I mean, I believe that the off-ball linebackers are one of the reasons why tight ends are being able to eat right now. So for me, that's the biggest question mark on this Broncos defense moving forward is the off-ball linebackers. I think against the run, both of them, Zach, are going to be really, really good. But how they do in coverage and then what the depth is like behind them as a guard against the injury bug are going to be two topics and storylines to monitor going forward. Yeah, Chef kind of answered his own question here. If they just had a three-down sideline-to-sideline inside linebacker like a Navarro Bowman in his prime or a Ruben Foster, this defense would be just incredibly insane. They don't have that, though. Davis and Marshall, like I mentioned earlier, they're good against the run. I have no problems with them there. But in the past, against the past, especially Todd Davis, who's picked on over and over and over again by by Travis Kelsey types of the world and all those tight ends and running backs, that's where they struggle. If they just kind of have an inside linebacker who can run and cover, they would be legit, but they don't have that yet. And can Josie Jewell be that next Navarro Bowman? I don't know. He's a good player, but he needs some coaching. So that's their biggest thing as an off-ball linebacker who's a three-down player, sideline to sideline. Um, they hope they can develop Jewell, uh, but they don't have that right now when they're starters in Davis and Marshall. And I would not be surprised next year or the season after if one of those two is gone. Yeah, I think one of them will be gone, especially if Josie Jewell Uh, can turn in a solid rookie season. And I think Josie Jewell, here's the thing. I haven't seen yet the trope that he lacks athleticism and that hurts him in coverage play out in an actual football game as a Bronco yet. When I've watched the tape on Josie Jewell in coverage these last two games, I have come away from that just surprisingly encouraged by what I've seen. His lapses thus far have been on picking the wrong lanes uh, when he attacks the run. So in coverage... I mean, he's been – he's very instinctual. He's been step for step with this guy. So more time on task there I think is going to help him. 
I'm not that worried about Josie Jewell. There's going to be some of the, the typical rookie learning curve, and I guess that's if there's any worry, that's where it comes in. But beyond him, Denver's off-ball linebacker group just falls off a cliff. And so hopefully A.J. Uh, Johnson, the kid they signed, the former Tennessee Vol who spent the last three years uh, battling for his freedom, is a solution to that, Zach. One thing I will say about Jewel is I'm impressed because as a rookie, he missed a chunk of training camp with an injury, and that set him behind. And he's looked pretty well in game yeah. situations. So um, I think he'll be a good player. He might be a better player in coverage than against the run, uh, but you need players to cover tight ends. You can, you can see that the past couple of years. A.J. Johnson is more of a, a, a pure tackler. Oh, that was his deal in Tennessee, but he made a big hit on that on that kick mm. return on special teams. So he, I was happy for him to get some, his first snaps in three and a half years. I was happy for him. It's a good success story. Hopefully the Broncos can have something in him. They gave him a fifty thousand dollar bonus in his contract, so that's yep. that's a indication they think they can mold him into a good player. But I, I'm not big on uh, the Zaire Andersons, the Joseph Jones, the Garcia Williams, and the uh, the inside line NBA area. So I hope Josie Jewell steps up because they do need that all around. 3-4 ILB. Yeah, and I'm not sure that number 59 looks too good on him up to this point. I'll just be honest. <laughs> yeah. you know. He needs to change the number. Yeah, we'll see. Once once more of the numbers come available when the 40-some-odd guys get their walking papers, we'll see exactly how that carousel resolves for Josie Jewell when it comes to his jersey number. But listen, that's all the time we have for today. We, we ran a little bit long, but it was great covering that game, talking about the game. So some good analysis, some good conversation here tonight. But you can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. And make sure you're subscribing, y'all, no matter where you're listening to the show, because, again, 2018 is going to be a doozy. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.